Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. Well, I've been so happy to have my wife, Jan, my oldest daughter, Amy, and my middle daughter, Kristen, on the podcast, and now it's time for our third and final child, my son, Michael, who we call Mick. I call him Mickey, because that's what he was as a kid. Mick? Happy to have you with us. Good to be here. (laughs) I left a pause. So, Mick, one of the things that we've done our whole career, ever since you've been born, was travel. Travel the PGA Tour, and you've been a part of a lot of cool things out there, but at the time, when you were a kid, you didn't know it. You were in daycare, you were... No idea. At home. You have no idea that when you were like two years old, Roger Clemens, (laughs) the the great pitcher for the Red Sox... He pushed, pitched golf balls to you when you had your plastic bat up in Hartford. You don't remember that? No. He was just... I remember meeting so many, now I know, athletes and famous people that at the time were just nice friends of dad yeah. who, were, who were throwing me golf balls and I was hitting them. Some of them were better than others. Yeah. He was probably one of the better ones. Well, that was... Yeah. And for pitching. He used to laugh because he lobbed these little things underhanded and you would rip it. You yeah. would just... And, and a lot of times they would come right back at the pitcher and... So when it was Roger or me pitching, we had to duck out of the way. But on the PGA Tour, you got a real load of travel. And I think that's why your two sisters and you have always been extremely comfortable on the road. I've always said that I could drop you somewhere in the middle of uh, Eastern Asia at eight years old. and You could, you could figure out a way home. Well, maybe, maybe Amy and Kristen. I don't know. I wasn't quite as organized as they were at eight. But <laughs> Eastern Asia, that might have been a stretch. I think you probably have figured it out now. Now you're now a, I have. You're an attorney. When you were in law school, I actually asked you to caddy for me. If you, I remember. If you remember that the first the first tournament you caddied for me. No, I, I caddied for you earlier. When you I was did. Young. Oh yeah, I remember because I was about the same size as the golf bag the first time I caddied for you. So I couldn't have been law school. That was when, okay, I don't remember the tournament. This is how it always went. I well, remember, it was memorable to me because it, it, it doesn't stick in my brain. Well, okay. See, I remember tournaments by, by the uh, nurseries or the daycares more than the tournament names. So you'll have to remind me. But this one, it was the one when you were, I, I first learned how to rake a trap on tour. I'd always raked traps, just kind of slap the, the rake down and yank it. And yeah, it's good enough. There's not a hole anymore. And then I learned the finesse that needs to be used when uh, raking a professional trap, which you taught me, in front of an entire gallery of people as you repeatedly hit the ball into the trap. You were having a bad day. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. It was in Denver. Yeah. Yeah. I I raked the first trap, and I think you were a little frustrated because you just hit it in the trap. Understandable. Understandable. But and I, I did not do a good job. But you came over and you just said, "That's not." And you, you were very patient. I remember you took the time as if you'd been in front of thousands of, of galleries of people, which at that point you had. But to me, I don't think I could have been redder in the face as you said, "Here's how you do it. First, you grab the rake and lightly place it here, and you and you shake it and you push the sand and you and you, it was like an art project." And I'm just nodding along, embarrassed, like I've never been embarrassed. Then I became my mission for the rest of the day to never mess up another trap, which you gave me many chances to practice. 
<laughs> as you hit it. And I think, what was the line? I don't remember who you were playing with, but... I was playing with Jay Delsing. They, they laughed because they heard me whisper to you or say something just... Or no, to myself, I think it was, on a par three. I was just praying like, not in the trap, not in the trap. Or so, and, and they heard me and laughed, something like that. But so isn't that, that the job of all parents is to embarrass their kids? Yeah, most don't have it quite as public as we, that, though. But I didn't mean to embarrass you. As, as all of us parents, we don't mean to no, embarrass our I, kids. I know that but, now. Now I know you were trying to teach me something. At the time, though, it was just... Now that you're a 30-something. Yeah. I do remember that. Uh, that was at Castle Pines in Denver. Ah. And Jay Delsing, uh, I told Jay, and I can't remember who else I was playing with, that you had never done it before. And he was kind of keeping his eye out for you, and I kept hitting it in the trap. <laughs> and then in another trap, and another trap. By the time we got around to the eighth hole, so par five, I think I'd been in five bunkers. And I remember saying to you, uh, can I, should I go for this green in two, or should I lay it uh, up? Right. And you said, Dad, I don't care what you do as long as you don't hit it into another bunker. Well, because it took me a while, too, to actually get it done. And then you guys were moving on, and there's another co- another uh, group coming up behind. And I'm like, this is not just you know playing golf for fun. This is a real tournament here. Yeah. I, can't, I can't be taking all the, all the time to do these traps perfectly. And part of the etiquette, obviously, is you need to leave the trap or the, the sand better than when you got there for the group behind you. It's just proper etiquette. Now, that might have been the first time, but you have caddied for me a couple of times subsequently. Yes. Uh, one, I remember Dick Sporting Goods up in Endicott, and the other time in Minneapolis at the 3M Open. What? It's obviously a departure from what you do. Uh, how was it stepping into a completely different line of work from outside the ropes, inside the ropes? Yeah, well, it's a huge difference just casually walking outside the ropes, watching you play, getting a hot dog, soda, having a great day, stepping inside the ropes to do everything that helps a pro play. People maybe don't understand how hard it is to be a caddy. Like, on, for real, on the tour, I have way, I, I remember at the time, first time I did it, I was too young to really appreciate it. When I was older, I'm like, I'm going to do this right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the yardage. I'm going to walk the, you know, all the distances. I'm going to help read putts. And first of all, I'm not great at math in my head. Like I can't just do all the yardage. You're you're much better at that than I am. But keeping everything straight. And then the worst I remember, I can't remember which one it was, was when it started raining. I had no appreciation for how difficult it is to keep the juggle between the uh, uh, the umbrella over the clubs and the zippered cover on the clubs. Can't hand you a wet club because it's going to slip out of your hands. Have to keep all the shafts perfectly dry. And, and, and at the same time, the bag weighs as much as a dead body. So you're dragging all this stuff around, trying to keep it undercover, sweating profusely. That's why I, I think caddies don't talk very often when you see them on, a, on the TV because they're, they're out of breath and they're thinking of all the things they have to keep straight. So they, needless to say, that wasn't a profession that you wanted to pursue? No, I was, I was uh, <laughs> happy to do it every once a decade. <laughs> but when you were born, my caddy at the time was Mike Cowan, who Uncle everybody Mike. knows as Fluff, but you know him yes. as Uncle Mike Uncle Beard. Mike. Uncle Mike a Beard, because when we were younger, he was the first man we ever met with a giant beard. And I actually thought, we thought, my sisters and I, we thought he was our uncle. So, Uncle Mike a Beard, that was his name. Actually, it started out as Uncle Mike with a beard, and it oh, got I, I shortened to Uncle Mike a Beard. But uh, he, was, he was a part of our family, and he still is. I talked to him. Quite a bit. Did you ever have a chance to pick his brain when you caddied for me? Uh, I don't think I did. And I don't think it's something you can really be given tips over. Except for maybe something like keeping track of the uh, the umbrella and the zipping the 
during the rain. But there's always there were other caddies. That was all. That was definitely helpful to have other caddies in the group. Uh, I think the last time I caddied for you was uh, on the senior tour when you had the cart, and I had to learn the difference where it's either the pro alone in the cart or the caddy with the bag in the cart, and you have to be ready to hop off the thing. That that was something I had that was uh, I was lucky to have you obviously being my dad. You, except for the golf, the sand trap situation, <laughs> you were always a little easier on me, I think, than maybe some guys with their caddies. Not that they're mean, but it's just that's their full-time job, so they got to be on it. Whereas I had a little leeway, you know. I, I always wanted to win the tournaments. I wanted you to win when we were playing, but understandably it was you were at a little bit of a disadvantage having me. You had to kind of, as I was helping you, you were helping me. But it was still um, it, unbelievable experiences to have. Great memories. People ask me all the time now, when I play in an outing or a tournament or just with friends, why do I play a yellow ball? Well, it's pretty simple, really, because I can see it. I can see the ball in flight all the way from the tee down to the landing spot, whether that's the fairway or, yeah, a fairway bunker. At my age now, I lose the white ball in flight. When Strixon first started making the Z-Star yellow ball, and they put it in my locker. It was to hand out to my amateur partners in the Pro-Am. And I was thinking, I'm not going to play this ball. I'm going to play the white ball. But when they put it in play, I could see their ball. And I immediately thought, what in the heck? I could see that ball. And believe me, when you lose sight of the ball in flight and you don't know where it lands, it kind of takes a little bit of the fun away. So what I did right then, I switched to the yellow ball. I started playing it in the Pro-Ams. And eventually, I started playing it in the tournament. Whenever you switch to a new ball, you're always worried about how that ball is going to fit in with what you do, how it affects your game. And I play it because it does everything I need it to do. I always think about proper spin, the proper trajectory, and the maneuverability of the shot. With the Strixon Z-Star yellow ball, I can curve it left or right, hit it high or low, and it has that perfect amount of spin that I need for my game. It's been about 10 years now since I put that ball in play, and I've never looked back. It's yellow for me for the rest of my career. Mick, one of the great memories and one of the great joys of my life was Coaching you in basketball when yep. you were a kid. You were a good basketball player. You're a big, tall kid. You're like 6'4". So you, uh, you, were, you were bigger than the average kid on the team. But obviously, I traveled on tour, but I always made, made time. I was really never gone more than two weeks at a time. I came home, and coaching your kids, coaching your team was, was a great joy. What, what do you remember about your father being the coach, was that embarrassing too? No, no, that was actually awesome. And I think that was one of the moments I realized that as much as I like golf, I liked basketball a little more because it was faster paced. But when you coached me, it was like, oh, you like, you like basketball too. You taught me how to play. Obviously, that's where I first learned it. 
But that was the first time we ever did it together like that. And it made me feel like, okay, this, this is where I really shine. And it was the most fun year of basketball. And I think my friends who played on the team agree with that because you were the coolest coach ever. Very laid back. You've been in much higher pressure situations than sixth grade basketball tournaments like we had. But it was also, you had, you had friends. Uh, was, was P.J. Carlissimo coaching the Blazers at the time? He was. He was the head coach of the Trailblazers. And his offensive coach was Rick Carlisle, who was the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. And Dick Harder, who was a head coach in the NBA as well, he coached for the Blazers. And I had them as my sixth grade, or I should say your sixth grade uh, strategists. Your brain trust. On the bench, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, that was always funny, too. We had these plays that were so simple yet really well made for, you know, sixth graders to pull off. And I always wonder where they came from. And I think... It, years later I realized you'd called PJ and Rick and they were like oh here we got some perfect plays for sixth graders and gave you these plays so we had custom plays written by the 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 strategist team for the Blazers for our sixth grade team that was that was pretty special I know my friends remember that too and for anybody listening that is coaching their their child's team one of the things that PJ and Rick and Dick Harder told me was when you're dealing with fourth fifth sixth seventh graders you can't have these intricate plays no. that had a pass and then a screen and then another pass and a pick and roll and a pass and a pass. Ending with an alley-oop. And an alley, yeah. <laughs> we would, what they did is they designed these plays to be one or two passes and then a shot. There was a designated shot which allowed you, because you were the biggest kid on the team, you knew that if the shot wasn't going through you, you would spin around, get positioned under the boards and block and out. That's where I learned to rebound. <laughs> and that's where you scored so many of the points because a lot of your rebounds were just putbacks. Yeah. And because you were pretty tall. Uh, but PJ and Rick, I always thought to myself, gosh, I, I want to have plays where you bounce it here, you go there, <laughs> yeah. you go there. Triangle goes, offense. No, no, no. We're going to bring the ball up the court. We're going to pass it to the wing. He's going to pass it inside, and there's a shot. Everybody knows that the, the post or the wing or the guard is going to take the shot. And I think it made our offense efficient, but it also well we could remember those plays. To, yeah, <laughs> as, as sixth graders, we could actually remember. I go here, I get a pass, I shoot it. Ooh, I got that locked in. That's blue. That's play blue. Play red was pass to the other side, and then pass it underneath. Yeah, very simple. That's one of my that's one of my favorite childhood memories though. And we actually got I don't know if it was first place. I think it might have been second. I don't know if we actually won one of the big tournaments. But I I, I know for years after that, in your trophy case, you had all your trophies. Really, you know, expensive, nice crystal things from various tournaments you'd won. And then, bam, front and center was that, you know, cheap plastic little basketball player trophy. I mean, it was a good-sized trophy from the year you coached the team, and we got second place, I think it was. But that's, that's a great, amazing memory for me, and it really started me loving basketball. One of the things I always made sure I did, we had 12 kids on the team, and I played every kid yep. the same amount of time because I just didn't want to be accused of being one of those dad coaches that – only coaches because I want to get my kid as much playing time as possible. So what we did, Pat, uh, Pat Kearney and I, my assistant coach, we went home and we designated how much every player would play, and we substituted. We could have been winning by 20. We could be losing by 20. We won more often, I think. We did, but, <laughs> but we, we didn't have anybody on our team that was going to go to the NBA. No. We didn't have anybody that was going to play college basketball at the highest level. So we wanted to make sure that the kids had fun. But as a parent, I miss that. I miss that time with you 
and your pals. And I think any parent misses being with their children when they're at that age where they can actually have an impact and influence them positively in their life. So uh, I and hope I def- someday you yeah. have a chance to coach your kids. I was going to say, I definitely remember that. And you did have an impact on myself and my friends, who we still, we still talk about that, our glory days. I mean, obviously, we continue to play for a few years after that, but that was probably the most fun. That's, think- when, that's when we should cue Bruce Springsteen, glory days. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> You know, I've been a pretty good ball striker my whole career, and I think one of the strengths of my game has been my driving. I've been pretty good off the tee. I hit a lot of fairways. But I always know that my first drive of the day is going to be a good one in comfort, luxury, and in style because I'm going to and from the golf course in my Lexus GX460. I've been a brand ambassador of Lexus now for over 30 years, and in my opinion, it's the best vehicle on the road today. Now, I may have had a few body parts replaced over the years, but that's just in my 65-year-old body. My Lexus needs nothing but routine maintenance, and that's just the way I like it. Over my 43 years of playing professional golf and working in TV and radio. I've, I've done my share of interviews, not only asking, but also answering. And one of the things you learn real quickly is that if you want to be an insider, you have to learn how to talk golf. You have to speak the golf lingo. And there are some very important catchphrases that we've heard and uttered over the years that you need to know. When I'm out playing, I'm always trying to make something happen. If I'm playing well, I was in the driver's seat and I closed the door with that putt as if there's a door on the golf course somewhere. I always want to get off to a good start. I had to right the ship. I needed to stop the bleeding. Yeah, the wheels came off when I was freewheeling. I had that green light special. I was on cruise control. That round today, man, I blew the doors off that thing. But I needed to dig deep, weather the storm. I was taking dead aim, and that putt I made, that was a dagger. I didn't want to open the door. I had to let the shaft out. I didn't want a blemish on my card. I had to bounce back. I had to redeem myself because I was steering my shots. I had both hands on the wheel. Yeah, that was a good look. That was the start of my birdie barrage. That ball had eyes. Yeah, I was feeling the Sunday jitters. Side note, isn't it interesting there's no football jitters, there's no baseball jitters, there's no second or third round jitters, but there are Sunday jitters. And what exactly is a jitter? That putt I made, that was a knee knocker. Yeah, I yanked that. I was leaking oil on the back nine. I had a cushion though, because I had a good start. I jump start the round. I made that putt, that was a seagoer. The wind was freshening. The greens are baked out. They're hard as bricks. Man, I steamrolled that guy. That guy, he's on fire. That was a butter cut off the tee. He's quietly moving up the leaderboard. I caught that one on the screws. I hit that tee shot in the drink. 
Yeah, he rinsed that one. But he's still in the mix, part of the conversation. And this course definitely fits my eye. Never understood that. But I have to take it one shot at a time. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm just going to play my game and try to be the best player I can be. I'm not going to be scoreboard watching. I'm just going to roll my rock. So if any of those made sense to you, you are already a golf insider. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours?